This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. All right. Um, welcome, everyone, on this uh, last Sunday of November, and it's also the eve of our Rohatsu Seshin that commemorates Buddha's enlightenment. Uh, last week, yeah, thank you. Last week, some of you were here. And you may remember, uh, Jero gave the talk, and he brought out a framed scroll, and he asked, does anyone remember what this says? Do, do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And no one responded, and he said, so why do we have Dharma talks if no one remembers anything? So I, uh, I'm glad you remember him saying that. So uh, today, uh, we're, I want to talk a little bit about the Rohatsu Sashin that it commemorates the enlightenment of uh, Gautama Shakyamuni Buddha where after years of struggle with his practice to find a meaningful way to practice, he realized that the way was right before him. He realized that the way was right before him all along. So we come together perhaps just to sit and feel gratitude for this practice and to endeavor to find our way to practice and carry on with a meaningful life. For me, this sashin is a way for me to express my gratitude for his discovery of the way and to help me stay on the path. My goal is not enlightenment, rather, to help me be a better practitioner of the Bodhisattva path. I, this may sound crazy, but I don't want this final enlightenment quite yet. Um, rather, just to help others on their path to enlightenment. And I'll go get into why in a moment and for very selfish reasons. You may question my moment, my motives, and please do. And question your motives of why you are here. Normally, Rohatsu Sashin is planned around uh, December 8th. And Ro means eight in Japanese, and Hatsu, I assume, means the 12th month in the Japanese calendar. Oh, the beginning of the month. Okay. 
This year's Rohatsu is from Sunday to Sunday and doesn't incorporate the 8th of December. Instead, um, uh, to me, it was important it, for it to be in the uh, occur during either a new moon or a full moon. And on the evening, well, uh, on the morning of December 8th, uh, 5th in Greenwich Mean Time, there's a full solar eclipse that you may know uh, can be seen down in Antarctica. And that time will, of the total eclipse, even though we won't see it, will be around midnight on the 3rd and extend into the 4th of December. And so uh, we'll have one full day of full sitting. Um, the last day of Rohatsu in the beginning of a new moon. And the moon begins to wax at that point to uh, first quarter and full moon, just as our Sashin is ending, so that as we return to our lives, we can wax our lives into our daily practice, daily lives, our work, our communities, and with a renewed sensitivity about what our lives mean and how we're connected with all beings, all things. As we come out of Sashin, we too will be coming out of the dark of our silent week, long practice into the light of our work, our families, our communities with new sensitivity. And hopefully we will bring just a little more understanding and patience and kindness to those we know and work with. Today, I just wanna talk briefly about the Bodhisattva vows. And here at Chikoji, we chant, beings are numberless, I vow to save them, delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to put an end to them, the dharmas are boundless, I vow to master them, and the Buddha way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. And that way of saying it is practiced in, and I think the Soto traditions in our area. However, um, another rendering of the Bodhisattva vow from Zen Monastery, Zen Mountain Monastery in New York, goes like this, sentient beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Desires are inexhaustible, I vow to put an end to them. The dharmas are boundless, I vow to master them, and the Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to attain it. So today I just wanna work the second line where it says, desires are inexhaustible, I vow to put an end to them. Now there are positive and negative desires. And usually we talk about the negative desires that harm ourselves or others. But I, today I wanna to examine the positive desires. 
because even those desires are inexhaustible, but um, I do not want to vow to put an end to those desires, and you'll see what I mean. It becomes problematic for us if we are nihilistic in any way, that is shunning or ignoring, denigrating aspects of our existence to achieve a preconceived idea of what we think practice is about. There are many things we should not do, like uh, no killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct, and so on. Here's a definition of um, the Bodhisattva path. And um, when I was uh, young, like 22 or 23, um, I happened to move into a boarding house, a rooming house in Dinkytown, Minnesota, Minneapolis area that um, was two doors away from where category Gary Roshi practiced and lived with his family. And he talked about um, the Bodhisattva path and it really shook me. So this definition goes like this. Uh, Bodhisattva is an enlightenment being in the Mahayana Buddhism. A Bodhisattva is a being who seeks Buddhahood through the systematic practice of the perfect virtues, the paramitas. But renounces complete entry into nirvana until all beings are saved. That's what shook me, you know, um, that you would renounce full enlightenment until all beings were saved. The determinating factor for his, her, or their action is compassion or karuna, supported by the highest insight and wisdom. A bodhisattva provides active help, is ready to take up the suffering of all other beings and to transfer their own karmic merit to other beings. The way of the bodhisattva brings with, with it the arousing thought of enlightenment and taking the bodhisattva vow. So before I, I met Katagiri, I may have heard the word bodhisattva, but I had never really investigated it. But I clearly remember the first time I heard him give the definition uh, for bodhisattva to save all beings and help them to attain anuttara samyak sambodhi, the complete perfect enlightenment before a bodhisattva takes the final step of a non-returner. So I want to be a bit contrary to the Zen Mountain Monastery rendering of desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them. 
I want to explore with you some desires I have and share why I do not want to put an end to them. There are desires, harmful desires, where you hurt yourself or you hurt other people. And yes, those desires to denigrate another, to harm another, to withhold, um, withhold material goods, withhold money, withhold your heart and attention, withhold um, your compassion. Um, those are harmful desires and should be put an end to. However, in the realm of seeing, in taking my grandson on a walk and he stops along the path and instead of asking him, come on, Karuna, would you please let's keep going? I stop and see what he's coming, looking at. And he's looking at the ground. He's kneeling down on the ground and he's looking at a little leaf is what I see. But he says, there's a tiny bug right there. A bug smaller than a grain of rice. And he was relishing in looking at this and not touching it, but just looking at it that most folks would ignore or screen off or fumigate to protect themselves from. For this boy, that was the universe. Seeing then also seeing the Grand Canyon and pausing to appreciate the inconceivable wonder the inconceivable um, aspects of all the millions of years and the inconceivable amount of water to expose the boundless number of exquisite surfaces that are on display. I have a desire to see and taste that. For hearing, I have a desire to hear the crashing of the waves on the beach or to hear the sound of a newborn baby or the desire to hear Beethoven's last string quartet of seven movements. Smelling, desire to smell another rose again and again and one of my favorites is Double Delight. It is one of the most poignant smelling roses I've experienced. And um, um, if you inhale, for me, the, the smell of Double Delight and hold it within your chest for 10, 20 seconds, it actually gives you a head buzz. <laughs> to have a rose actually, you know, tickle your brain like that. I mean, it tickles your nostrils, but it also affects, affects more than that. I want, I have a desire 
to smell a rose again and again, to smell the apple blossoms in the spring, to smell a, the fresh cup of coffee in the, in the morning, and the de desire to smell the skin of a newborn baby. There's nothing like it. Or the desire to smell your love or my love and their hair. Tasting. There's just something exquisite about tasting the first sip of Coca-Cola. There is every other sip that follows is not the same, but that first taste is, is amazing to me. Or that first lick of an ice cream cone. Or the desire to taste your favorite Mexican dish when you are famished. Or the desire to taste a sweet apple from a tree in your friend's or neighbor's yard. Touching, the touching desire to touch, to touch the core of this existence the desire to again, once again, toss a baseball. As a kid, I, had, I was not very good ball player. My older brother was a star and he asked me to play catch with him. And I so enjoyed feeling and smelling the leather glove, working in the oil into the glove to toss the ball and fling and snap of the wrist and the loud crack of the ball hitting the glove, hitting my glove and the intense sting of the first two fingers when the ball hit and the slight swelling that followed. It felt wonderful, yet though painful. And the desire to toss a football, to throw a perfect spiral and to to smell the ball, the leather ball, to smell the grass when tackled or tackling someone else, and, and to run out for a long pass and to catch it. You know, the desire for that is exhilarating when, when it realized. The desire to make love, not just to have sex, but to actually make love and engage in the duet of exchange that sweet love can be. Consciousness. I have a strong desire to understand to deeply understand my life and others' lives, to understand the living green veil, thin green veil that covers this planet, to understand our planet and our solar system, 
and the desire to deeply understand and know our Milky Way galaxy. Also to deeply understand the word bodhicitta, enlightenment. And it takes a desire in order and curiosity in order to actually come to really understand in, in each of our own way what that means. Can each of you remember the first time you heard the word enlightenment and what it did to you? The spark of interest, the curiosity, the, the desire to get it, what enlightenment is and really about, to understand thusness, or as Dainin Kadigari Roshi would say, to understand just this it is. The desire to persist to the end of a race or to the end of solving an engineering problem. The desire to persist and make it to an appointment 500 miles away and on time. The, the deep desire to understand, to really understand. So it is for these very selfish reasons of wanting to have fulfillment of these desires, these positive desires, that I don't want to be a Buddha yet. For me, for me, this existence is too sweet, too rich, too precious, too much fun, though at times quite painful. And even that I don't want to miss. I recently was asked to conduct a Jizo ceremony for a young mother who lost her baby. Her baby died in her womb three days before the due date. The doctors wanted to do a C-section. They induced labor, but they did not do a C-section. And she said she was in labor for 72 hours. She didn't want fentanyl, a block of any kind. She knew the baby was dead, but she did not want to miss the full experience of what this existence is about. To me, that desire to deeply understand her existence in that way gave her huge fearlessness and courage to go through those 72 hours and the last two years of mourning without trying to cover it up, paste it over, 
become intoxicated in one way to relieve the pain. She wanted to taste it all and was very disappointed when the professional healthcare workers around her, the doctors and nurses wanted her to have her, have her pain relieved. And by the way, you know, it's, this is taking too long to actually honor what we go through and actually go through it is necessary, you know, to really get what this existence is about. And this to me is why Sashin is so important. It helps each of us who attends even one period, full period of Zazen or a full day Zazen to sit with yourself and this body and what this body gives you in, in information of, of, of joyful information, attention and feelings or pain and discomfort and the ability to persist in the midst of the pain hour after hour after hour after hour to persist brings your body mind to a place you have never experienced. And the only way you can experience is you can't hear about it. You can't see it. You can't have somebody else explain it. You have to taste it completely yourself like this woman who went through that really long, painful, agonizing labor to deliver a stillborn baby. To complete that process, what would have helped her too would be if she could have hold, held this stillborn baby that she had carried for nine months and felt its kicking and communicated with it. And she was not allowed to hold this baby that she had, she had been with very intimately for nine months, they took it away. I want to again and again, make love and have children. To be a child with an insatiable curiosity, learning to ride a bike and explore this exquisite planet and solar system and universe. I want to work on the moon. I have a desire to work on the moon and help explore the incomprehensible solar system and universe that is ever present with us. I can go on and on tasting, I want to taste hot chocolate, vanilla ice cream with a dash of chocolate syrup. I want to smell roses and even smell hot asphalt that's being put on a rooftop or part of a newly paved road. I want to feel the embrace of another. I want to feel the joy and gratitude that comes from 
the endless epiphanies that are experienced in this life when we really get something. And I know each of you here has had multiple epiphanies, these small enlightenments of like, oh, I see, I get it. And just whether it's how I behave and see, wow, I was really kind of stupid what I did. And it's like, well, there's a little epiphany. If I can use that and change my patterns, then there are more epiphanies to come again and again. I want to feel, I have a desire to feel again the satisfaction of helping another finish their project or along the way of their project to help others realize a goal or a dream of theirs. I can't tell you the, the uh, satisfaction and gratitude I feel of being a part of that process, to be allowed in to their activity, and then to see that they can bear the fruit of their dream somehow with a little assistance from me along the way. I want to, I have the desire to experience the enormous satisfaction of being a part of a collaboration on construction projects, on thinking projects, on workshops we do here. Let me tell you more. No, no that's enough of my selfish desires. But basically, I want to come back again and again, a thousand lifetimes to taste all aspects of this existence. Though not really wanting to taste the sucky aspects of greed, hate, sloth, indifference, that is no use and even hurtful to another or others. So come to this Sashin or come to another sashin to really taste what it is to genuinely persist through thick and thin. You don't have to go to Mount Everest to meet your match. You can join us here for a week of something that together we are supported and practiced to meet each period of Zazen with the best effort we have. And unless you have done this, put forth the best effort you have. You do not yet know what you are capable of. So um, maybe you would like to talk about, for you, what the Bodhisattva vow means to you. But I open it to you now. So thank you. I have a question. Um, yes, Benjamin. On the, um, is it the second one? Uh, 
Delusions are inexhaustible. Are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. That's the way I say it at home. Delusions? Yeah. Yeah. I vow to end them. And I never heard the way you just said it, that interpretation. The desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them. Desires. Yeah. What's, What's the difference between desires and delusions? Well... You could probably imagine a lot of differences. You know, delusions um, are what we also want to get rid of. But um, that's, you know, we work to end our delusions. But I I wanted to, in particular, deal with the uh, Zen Mountain Monastery's rendering of the vows of of desires are inexhaustible. Because there are some desires that you hope are in inexhaustible the des- the desire of curiosity the desire to taste and experience yeah. and and to um maybe i'm wrong in this that ultimately a buddha would extinguish even those kinds of desires but i'm not a buddha yet i'm a i'm practicing i'm a novice bodhisattva and i i've attended a, a talk a couple a few months ago uh, by a teacher i forget her name but she she's about 10 years older than i and practiced very intensely um and and i said well she talked about the bodhisattva vows and she and i said well you know isn't what we do you know we help each other to to be bodhisattvas and help and she said actually at this time on this earth there are very few real bodhisattvas because it seems ending ending delusions and ending desires are two very different things mm-hmm. yeah they're different there are probably other words that you could bring in there ending ignorance the delusions of uh that we have with sloth and gluttony and greed, you know, those are delusions. So um, anyway, good point. Thank you, Benjamin. Larry? Yeah, thank you very much. That's, that was, it just was. and uh, about experiencing fully uh, what we are my experience of that most graphic is as I'm reflecting now is and I'm beginning to wonder if there isn't the desire to experience death fully (laughs) death fully and where I experienced that was that when moments of death, we would have a ceremony, a ritual for family, and they would come. And part of what I would do is just open it up to them and let them develop their own ritual, mm-hmm. mainly in terms of just go up to the person and just say, what is it that you want to say to them? And to do that. And then just allow. And how many times I've heard people say, how peaceful that was for them. So I'm just thinking, is, is there something? I'm, I, I like the notion of wanting to experience death fully, 
yet not yet knowing. Because I also know that when deaf people in a COVID time, where people aren't able to mourn and to be with the one, how painful that is. Uh, or just my niece, she drove around for an hour before she came to see her dad, my brother who had just died. And she finally came in and she was just so broken. So I had to just go in there and just, just spend, she spent an hour with him. When she came up, she was just up. She experienced death fully. So I'm, I'm working on that. It's beautiful perspective. And I thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Todd? I, I definitely appreciate more sort of theme, I suppose, how you started out your talk, which was uh, to reiterate more Terrell had said last week, which was a question, really. What, what do we do when there's a Dharma talk? <laughs> So, um, <clears throat> I don't know if there's too much more to say because that's very apropos. For me, I just uh, find it uh, uh, this need to define, to label, to give a word to it is somehow temporarily very reassuring. But what I find I'm experiencing slowly is the and where the forms and the practice come in is to feel to sense uh, that it's okay to dwell in mystery. Mm -hmm. So it's all fine and good to read the menu. And that's poetic. And uh, some menus, French menus, they're incredible. But it's not the food. Mm -hmm. So I am still, I come here to listen to Dharma talks, I guess. But I think primarily it's in the sitting and this ancient, you know, 2,500 years of just very simply sitting quietly in stillness that this mystery and forms of Buddhism and this Zendo allow to manifest, have the possibility to manifest and to, to experience maybe, I mean, I can put a word on it, but to experience it to what it really is. It's amazing. I was watching because I, I mean, because I was thinking because of my art background and, but I remember long ago, years ago, when I first came here, and I could recognize the pulse in my sight. <laughs> yeah, and and just this morning, it was like a wave. 
my the light came into my eye and, and when I would blink it just was like the ocean and uh, it's all so temporary in a way but all always always is anyway blah 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 <laughs> you started by saying about using words to define and explain um, things and there's a passage in the I believe it's the Julmir Samadhi that says the meaning is not in the words and yet it responds to the inquiring impulse mm. what is the inquiring impulse with this gentle curiosity to understand beyond the words which you describe about the mystery that it's that we have at right here before us. So thank you, Todd. Susan, Tova, hi, good to see you. When are you coming up here next to visit your granddaughter? Yesterday, <laughs> I was Good. down the road this week. Yeah, we arrived uh, Wednesday night, and uh, I thought of you, talked about you with newcomers. So you may see some interesting people come your way who are now just down the road. So I was very touched by uh, the four vows as you spoke them. Actually, they're pretty close to the Santa Barbara in center translation and my sense of that is well i i really love the litany of lists that you had and i want to speak to one of those images in a moment but my sense of how i've been able to look at that issue of desires is that it's about not being attached to those uh, what we want. Um, and what trips me up is I'm, I'm interested in maintaining vitality and motivation. And I have to watch that I'm not, when you speak about the granddaughter, that I'm not desiring an outcome that isn't a reality for someone else. I have to look at my desires and not what I want for others that may not be appropriate for them. So I can't be attached to that. And you know, this is the, uh, you know, the aging educator here who has spent her life, you know, as an educator, you, you're looking at what you think is best for others. So that's, um, my life right now, we're dealing with illness and injury. Our desires for travel or for home improvements or any of the standard stuff that we thought would be happening now is, uh, is changing. So to let go of those and to stay present to what helps us remain interested in our lives why why bother you know if everything's falling away what is there to do that is that is um 
of interest and that brings a spark to every day. So that to me is what is desire. And, and then again, to not be attached, maybe the day brings a few steps around the house. You know? um, but I wanna speak to one of your, your desires or your, that you don't wanna let go of. And that is the double delight rose that I am looking at through the window this instant. And that blooms the longest in our season here. And that always blooms double because that is my parents. That rose is mom and dad, who some of you know lived a century each. And it always blooms double because it's always mom and dad. It's some phase of their existence. And that was the rose that I would take for dad to smell when I visit them almost daily in their, in their dwelling because they were just transformed when they smelled double delight. So thank you. Good story. <laughs> thank you. The um, I know you talk about um, things falling away. And I know at the end of this existence, um, you know, the desire for vanilla ice cream and uh, listening to music or even seeing anything, you know, those things fall away and pretty soon just, just to be is enough. Uh, as the pages of our life's book are torn away and there's no going back. So the desires, those desires fall away. But I want to be a young kid again, you know, to and, and go through this existence again because of all the these changeable desires that we get to uh, experience. And uh, to me, it's just, um, um, you know, life to me is supposed to be fun and helpful, you know. Um, my mother on her, in her last two weeks, um, I spent a lot of time with her and was there at her passing. And I remember one day um, we were talking about things. She was reeling off these, these virtues of her life that she felt needed to be transmitted to my kids, our kids and other beings. And one of them she said was, uh, well, before I say that, she, uh, in my life, because I've had a lot of fun in my life, and fun was a primary objective, you know, to have fun helping another, to have fun even cleaning a toilet, or have fun pulling weeds, or have fun digging out a stump, or have fun doing just a horrible task to make it some aspect of fun. Um, one relationship I had with my first cousin, she said, you're just a hedonist. And I was accompanying my cousin in her, in her last eight years. Uh, she had breast cancer. She had a tremor. She uh, still taught school. She had a daughter has, who's still, still here. And, and we're, we're close. But to uh, help her on her path, on her passage, felt really important and vital to me. And my mother said, you're just a hedonist. And I said, okay. 
So she here moving ahead another 10 years uh, on her final two weeks, she was reeling off these things. And one of the things she said is she was very stern and firm and, you know, almost, you know, and, and she said this very firmly. She said, people must do what they love. People must do what they love. Otherwise, they're wasting their time. They're wasting their life. She was only could be horizontal at that time. And I looked at her or sitting next to her and looked at her and I said, mom, you're a hedonist. And this stern face just moved into a just brilliant smile of delight. So I, I finally was able to say it to her, you know, about being a hedonist. And, um, and it was just a moment of delight. So, um, but we must do what we love and find our ways of doing what we love. And then we find our way. You know, Buddhism is a term that's 200 years old. It was created by um, what the enlightenment, the, the uh, European enlightenment, but in, in the Eastern traditions, it was never known as Buddhism as a thing. The great teachers, they practiced the way. That was it. They practiced the way. And there's no way to really define it except for each person to define it themselves or find their way. Thank you, Susan, for that, this nice exchange. Mr. Krimmel. Yeah. Howdy. Yeah, we, when you started going off on uh, talking about desires not to end and stuff, it just felt of, you know, talking about a baby that we're just these creatures that come into the world with all these impulses and they're very natural in a way. And I started thinking about human impulses and I just started thinking about, well, some are pretty natural things we love and, and some are harmful. So it, it is being aware of our impulses and being aware of what is harmful. Then I started thinking about, well, that's the whole thing for me anyway, of way seeking mind, bodhicitta, of being aware of what I do, of what I do in life. It's just building this awareness. And, um, you know, I grew up in a kind of a, uh, I don't know what you call it, kind of a, a Protestant kind of thing of don't do this, don't, you know, kind of a whole list of do's and don'ts. And, and it didn't have much to do with about awareness and all that. And I kind of find that this practice that we do with a sitting practice and I don't know if it's just just revolves around sitting is being aware of what we do and if it's harmful or not harmful and our, our, our impulses that are positive our impulses that are yeah so yeah I, I'm glad you um, you brought up what you did it really got me thinking just about my own life a little bit so um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad your mother made that transition. <laughs> that was, that's quite remarkable. That was that was good. That was a good story. <laughs> so thanks, Doug. Thanks, Randy. And and I just want to say this morning I was up on the ridge uh, right at dawn. You know, seeing the thin blue and the pink above the blue as the dawn is, was uh, fully coming. And from the east. Are, we're from Modesto, we're coming these warm winds, the, making the offshore winds. Oh, and sure. I, was thinking of, I, I was thinking of you and all the people to the east in the valley and the warmth that must be there now. And we are getting that warmth and it concerns me. You know, it, it is unseasonably warm here. And and it's well, dry for all of Sashin. This is going to be the warmest Rohatsu, uh, 70 in the daytime, in the low 50s at night. Usually it's raining or cold and we have to build a fire. It's just, um, anyway. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, yes. Rain. Thank you, Doug. How lovely to be back at Chikoji. Um, I have that mantra. I say that a lot to my crew. Um, if you like what you do, you'll be good at it. Mm -hmm. But if you love what you do, you'll be great. At it. Mm -hmm. You'll be successful. I have this um, young gal who works with me who loves her work. But um, she has a hard time getting to work. And so then when she does show up, She's really engaged, you know, but then she's got so much going on in her personal life that it distracts her. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to sit her down and said, you know, maybe it would work for you to have a job that you can float in and out of and your employer wouldn't mind. But for me, I'm trying to run a business. And when I rely on you and I get all this work for us to try to accomplish, it's a burden on the rest of the team. And um, I think she really appreciated the directness of mm -hmm. um, just trying to figure out your own life. Mm -hmm. And I would always say that to my kids, too. You know, don't settle. Never settle. You know, figure out what it is you enjoy and try to make that your career. Mm -hmm. Because then you have a reason to get up mm -hmm. and, and move on. When this gentleman was talking about, you know, mourning and all the, the death that occurred last year and um, how grateful I was that um, I was able to come here <laughs> to lay Rob to rest mm -hmm. and to have a small group outside because it was such a big deal to not want to say goodbye. Like I didn't want someone just to take them and burn them and throw them in an ocean you know it's like I, I this is important to have this ceremony to have this process to understand what i just lost mm -hmm. and um i just really have a lot of um, emotion when i come here and a lot of things open up for me when i sit by myself in silence in my own head and i just really um i know 
the weather is crazy. I, I, I went kayaking last weekend in Mendocino and the weekend before I was swimming in the ocean and it was so warm and my friends want to ski while I'm going skiing. It's like, really? Like, where? It's summer here. <laughs> I know. I know you're skiing. Thank you, Rain. Thank you. Having the ceremony for Rob here was uh, deep in this place. And um, just hearing those remembrances of him and uh, I don't know, it just heals it, the community of people of his friends and your friends and family. So it's, um, I'm glad that we have a place where that kind of processes can unfold in a big way. It's um, so important. There's no price tag on it. So thanks, Rain. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.